it's what 87 degrees in my apartment right now. Yeah, and I'm just Damn. cycling through Ziploc bags full of ice out of my freezer and like holding them on various parts of my body. <laughs> well, but, uh, if you need to chill on a couch with a laptop or whatever, like I've got air conditioning here. Yeah, I'd love I think to. It's like 73 in here. I know, but I have to be here for when technicians and maintenance people show up. Ugh. Otherwise, I have to lock my cats in a room, and I don't want to do that to them when it's 86 degrees in the house. Oof. Oh, yeah. So I have to sit here and sweat it out. I just feel really bad for my fiance because she's upstairs working, doing like fucking important, like real job stuff. Uh, like, at least I just have to be drenched in my own sweat during a podcast. Like, that's not that big of a deal. <laughs> right. But she's trying to do her, like, legit fucking job. And it's got to be. Well, it's got to be even hotter upstairs. It is. It's much hotter upstairs. We put all the, the fans in her room, though. So I, she's got more airflow than anybody else in an open <laughs> well, window. But like, Well, you good. heard them, folks. We need the, to turn this podcast into a legitimate fucking job. <laughs> <laughs> we need to turn no, this podcast kidding. into a Freon replacement for my air conditioning unit. That's what's yeah. really. <laughs> Desperately trying to restrain my pedantic engineer's instinct to explain that Freon has been illegal for decades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dan's the guy who shows up at the garden store like, give me the shit with the DDT. I know you got it. <laughs> yeah, give me the give me the real shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> none, of, none of this none of this amateur like doesn't actually kill pests is good for yeah. the environment shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want that shit. I want shit that'll turn the soil the wrong color. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of extremely light, enlightened discourse and uh, yeah. conversations that Maybe are super start fruitful. The episode. <laughs> Yeah, welcome everybody to an episode of Work Stoppage. We are entirely listener supported, so thank you so much if you've thrown us a little bit of money on Patreon. We really appreciate it, and we promise that if you did, we have a lot of very cool, very special bonus content coming out for you soon. We're actually uh, just going get... over it. It's very cool. Yeah. Sorry. Hell did yeah. you interrupt your intro? Yeah, no, you're good. I, I wasn't on the call till a second ago because of my AC trouble, so I'm a little behind the group right now. <laughs> uh, but get in the Discord if you can. Uh, it's a great place to hang out, and uh, we post all kinds of cool shit in there, memes from the end of the show, news articles, and of course you can interact with the hosts. And please, uh, just in case it helps, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. But we have a lot of follow-ups for you right now. Uh, we're going to start off with the Volvo truck workers that we were talking about um, going over their tentative contracts. We had talked about these workers. This is at the largest Volvo truck manufacturing facility in the world in Virginia, mm -hmm. where these workers at UAW local, uh, which should be, they really just got, they got to add the four to it. So it's local yeah. four 2069. <laughs> Cause if it's just local 2069, you're leaving that opportunity hanging there. Like, <laughs> yeah. And these are, I feel like this local in particular is cool enough to just go ahead and change. That. They deserve yeah, it. They're, they're dank enough to get it. They put in the effort. They rejected the second contract that was proposed to them by the UAW international bargaining committee. And, uh, they seem, it seems like the workers on the ground are like incredibly in insulted that this contract was even proposed to them because it was like functionally identical to the first one. Yeah. And so like you have quotes from local 2069 member Rhonda Sisk, who's like the international union has been down here twice for town halls. Each time we say, take it back, it's garbage. And they just say, they think it's a good contract, but they don't say why, which is like, 
that kind of behavior, you have to start thinking that like this international bargaining committee might kind of be in the pockets of Volvo a little bit. Yeah. Another quote that I pulled from uh, the article that we're citing from Labor Notes is uh, you can take this trash back to the table and let them know that we're not weak pushovers and we want to continue using the best or if you want to continue using the best truck builders in the world, they can call us and give us a fair contract. It's like, yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. And they rejected the first contract by over 90%. And then the, the, so the the bargaining committee came back to him and said, okay, okay, okay. And we had mentioned this in the last episode. They said, Hey, please just list the things that you didn't like the most about it. And we'll try and fix it. And the workers were like, no, 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 this whole thing sucks. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, you have to actually do the things that we told you needed to get fixed. And so like, okay, right. we hear you. We'll go back and negotiate. And then they didn't do shit. And they came back with a set with, according to the workers, it was basically the exact same contract. And it's great. Like to see these folks just be like, motherfuckers. No, like <laughs> we told you that that shitty, like uh, concessionary deal that was in favor of Volvo was not going to fly. And you can't just like, pretend to listen and come back and say it's fine so it they they rejected it again by almost 90 percent. and this time because we mentioned some really shitty quotes from the union uh bargaining team last time right yeah but they blew this, up in the facebook groups too like because yeah. they have like a a facebook group where they do some of this like communication and like basically the 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 local newspaper of some sort is a, is kind of a Facebook group, but um but yeah they basically lit all this all those shitty comments. What was it the, the where the organizer said if you don't like it you can get a job somewhere else or whatever. Yeah, yeah then don't which, work here. Yeah, that's but, what you expect to hear from the company. Exactly, and so completely you know understandably where two times now this this bargaining team has come back with a a company friendly contract hasn't listened to any of the actual workers demands. And so completely understandably, some of the the workers have, have begun a petition to recall the bargaining team and replace them with one that will actually listen to the workers and actually organize for what they need. And in response, the again, union officials said that the move to remove them was illegal, accused the workers of union busting, and called them communists. (laughs) Like, look, if you are involved in a union negotiation and you are being called a communist, keep doing whatever you're doing because you are pissing off the right people. (laughs) That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I find it so funny that they even resorted to just straight up being like, well, you're the communist sector (laughs) of the union. You're the fucking, the big red terror in the union. And it's like, hell yeah. Anything (laughs) that gets you labeled that is like, they're, they're basically just saying, Hey, you're being too effective. Please stop being so effective. And it, and and we're going to, and, and actually, you know what? This is a, a good as a good transition to the next story because like the just to to wrap that one up like they rejected it overwhelmingly so back on strike until mm-hmm. they actually get a good contract that works good. and the big problem here was once again just that you know unions claiming to be listening to the workers rank and file and then trying to basically uh, undermine that and in this case we've got state lawmakers doing that because we've got another follow-up, uh, which is, um, we had talked, uh, a few episodes back about, um, this actually, no, I think it might've been just been last episode. I'm not sure, but, uh, mm-hmm. there was a bill in New York's state legislature that was being worked on and about to be introduced 
to create uh, essentially state approved fascist unions for gig workers that would be completely mm-hmm. toothless, have no right to strike, et cetera. And, and this is like, you know, the sort and of separate thing unions for 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 what was it? Delivery drivers and for rideshare drivers. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. So basically trying to get out ahead of a lot of these real grassroots union organizing efforts and create a, a union that can be extremely easily co-opted and controlled that has no real teeth to enforce any of its workers demands. But since uh, that we, we uh, reported about that. The bill has basically collapsed, and that's essentially almost entirely from pushback uh, from the, this grassroots group that we've talked about in New York City, uh, Los Deliveristas Unidos, uh, like a group of, of gig delivery drivers who, again, we've talked about that have, have been banding together largely during the pandemic to deal with all of these problems that they're trying to solve by forming a union. And they came out like vocally and, and very forcefully against that bill because of all of its many, many problems. And that essentially forced all of the other union partners who had previously been supporting it on the lines of, Hey, it's a bill that creates give more unions. So that's by default. Good. It doesn't matter if the union is actually capable of doing anything. <laughs> right. Well, and you see like quotes from guys like uh, Sergio H.J., uh, a delivery driver and Los Deliveristas Unidos member, who says like, I think it's silly that these companies would try and sneak this behind our backs when we are already organized at the grassroots. We're very aware that our organizing, our protests, marches, and movement pose a threat to tech companies. So it's really cool to see that like the, the, the delivery drivers and the rideshare drivers are already so intensely mobilized that something like this, they don't even like the most militant core of their organizing effort doesn't even bat an eye. doesn't even take it seriously for one moment. And that's like the level of, of commitment to workers' rights that you need and that you hope to see in these kinds of movements. Yeah. And, and, and like they, they put out a statement saying they are opposed to any legislative proposal that is pre-negotiated without workers' direct input that right. mm-hmm. directly uh, impacts their industry, work conditions, and the well-being of their families. So like this story for me is just so emblematic of how little like state lawmakers like in general tend to think of workers just with the idea that like we'll put this bill together and we'll trick these fools into joining our shitty state union that they won't be able to then do anything. And, but like, this is the thing you, you actually go talk to the workers involved in this organization. They know exactly what's going on. Like they're not, they're not idiots. Like the lawmakers clearly think they are. Yeah. Like they had a uh, like they specifically mentioned in here that the people familiar with the negotiations that these folks got involved with, they said specifically the workers were particularly concerned the bill could restrict their ability to protest or walk out on their jobs, which they've, as we mentioned before, they've done multiple times over the last year and has been the catalyst for already getting several like lower level but important reforms passed through the, the state legislature, as well as directly leading to the introduction of several more. So they like the workers involved in this know exactly how fucked these bills are. And so they came out strong against it, which basically Mm -hmm. forced the larger unions like the TWU and SEIU to reconsider it, listen to their uh, concerns and, and, and drop their support. Right. 
Well, and one group that hasn't dropped their support is the Independent Drivers Guild, which I I think, you know, sounds, you know, benevolent, right? Very, very, like, it's a driver's guild. It must be like a form of a union. But actually, a lot of this funding comes from Uber itself. Oh, of course. And so so basically, this is a uh, a company union, the SCAB union, that is only looking out for the interests of Uber and is convincing all of its members that they are some sort of force for good when it's just like this is just your boss having another in another way of organizing to tell like actual union efforts to not be militant i mean i'm not surprised because they if they were they were probably going to keep this company union along with the shitty like toothless state union and they're going to be like look at all this representation you have you've got yeah. Two unions for drivers plus a guild. I mean, come on. Go back to work and please be quiet. (laughs) Where am I trying to organize my fellow workers? I feel like I'm in an aisle at Walmart with how many (laughs) amazing options I have. (laughs) People don't want options. They want something that does the job. They want the union to be effective at getting them rights and pay and vacation time and other accommodations like and safety in the workplace. Like they don't need options. They don't need like, oh, look at the look at the marketplace of union membership in which I can engage as a consumer. (laughs) Like that's the last (laughs) fucking thing we want. And so since uh, Los Deliveristas Unidos came out against the bill, uh, subsequently leading to the, the loss of support from the, the Transit Workers Union, SEIU, and a few other unions, lawmakers have basically dropped the, uh, the plan to push through that bill, uh, and the legislative session ends this week. So that gives uh, drivers now time to continue the pressure campaign that they've been mm-hmm. quite successfully working on over the past year and, and work to get reforms passed that actually take into account what the workers directly need and actually meet those material things instead of just, you know, you wanted a union, here's a union. It can't do any of the things that you want the union to do, but you said you wanted a union. (laughs) It's basically this, it's the equivalent of an open door policy that your boss says he's got. And then you walk in and he's like, close the door behind you. Uh, (laughs) But... Uh, yeah. There's an affiliate of this scab union who had a quote in this article where she says, while the legislation itself will not immediately gift us all of the changes and improvements we need, the power we will gain from having the right to bargain will give us the opportunity to negotiate for those changes and to win a better life for ourselves and our families. No, it <laughs> fucking won't. If yeah. striking <laughs> is written out, is already pre-negotiated out of the rule, out of the legislation, out of the contract, whatever it is not a stepping stone towards anything except an, a greater power of the company to clamp down on the workers in the future that is the only thing that it quote unquote progresses towards yeah like look i understand like real life involves some compromises don't let the perfect be the enemy of good all that shit sure but sure. like to illustrate like this because basically what this would be doing is you have all these unions, you have you like union worker as your little like, you know, exemplar abstract like category who comes out and says, sure. I want a union. And they come out and say, great. And they take a hat that says union and they put it on the guy and then they handcuff the guy. And that's what this union is yep. <laughs> because it's a union in name only that can't do shit and just binds the workers into this completely useless and, you know self-defeating organization it's a committee to consider a worker's right or two oh wait wait wait. well and like where have we seen this before 
fucking healthcare where they're like, oh, yeah. how about instead of a, uh, you know, Medicare for all, we give you a public option. How about instead <laughs> of having uh, doctors in your coverage plan, you have a preferred plan network, uh, and you can contact. What if we give you a health kind of savings account? account? A health say exactly, exactly. It's the same kind of like fucking watering down, and it's not even watering down. It's completely gutting workers' rights, healthcare rights, and then disguising it as watering down that might have some benefits here and there for the odd consumer. It's a fucking lie. It's a fucking lie every goddamn time. It's a smiley face sticker. That's all it is. Yeah. It's a smiley face yeah. sticker. And it's really, and so like the thing that I just really liked about this story is it's just really like, I know I say this a lot about stories, but like it's, it's really encouraging to see these groups of folks who organize themselves like come out here and tell the state legislature to go fuck off (laughs) when they try and pull this shit Mm -hmm. and the solidarity that they are, they're able to engender from the rest of the labor movement and, and, and basically pull them in a more radical direction is, is great to see. And I, and I hope they're able to keep it up. And speaking of keeping up the radical energy, right? Exactly. (laughs) I was going to do that same segue. (laughs) Yeah. It almost, I I wish we could have used a segue from the first segment too, because it's exactly what we're doing. We're talking about here, which is, um, if we remember what we were, it was the ILWU over in Los Angeles area or the Oakland area, basically saying, don't let the Zim ships, uh, which are basically shipping, boats that uh support our apartheid israel uh and right. how they didn't let them dock and uh just like the boat in the suez canal it's gone <laughs> that's for, right except oh, for that boat yeah. was cool yeah that boat was cool this boat sucks but yeah, it, this right. boat was only turned away from the port due to the sustained efforts of the ILWU and the entire block the boat uh campaign organized by the arab resource and organizing committee yeah because we mentioned when we when we talked about this story before that like there's been a long history of of a rock the the um Arab Resource and Organizing Committee in, in, in this area, working with the IDLWU, and that they had been preventing the ship from docking. Um, the, the new update, though, is, is that like not only did they delay the ship with their strike action, the ship finally docked in the port after being delayed for over two weeks, and you know, co- which cost the company millions of dollars. It docked on June 5th, and immediately the ILWU is out there on the picket line starting at 6 a.m., keeping anybody from taking a goddamn thing off that ship. And eventually the ship had to just gave up. They're like, fine, fuck it. You're just going to block everything. We'll just leave. And so <laughs> they, they made the Zim ship rage quit the port of Oakland <laughs> by striking against them folks. And you know, you, you just love to see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I just, I, I love the, the quote from, from this rep from, uh, a rock, uh, Lara Kazwani, who said at the, celebratory rally after the ship departed which i imagine was a fucking blast um quote if the zim shipping line tries to dock in oakland again we'll be back and (laughs) they've been doing this for seven years which is like one of them like longest labor campaigns i've heard of and then this is extremely impressive so 
Hell yeah for the ILWU continuing their long history of of badass labor action. Well, yeah, and also with like a community organized um, group like AROC, which I think that is really important to remember that when organizing, you can't just mobilize the outside groups. You have to continue to organize within those groups to bring them into labor because that is part of the workers' struggle. And and I, I really love the the combination of a community resource and a, and a militant union because those are the things that actually create power this is, yeah. this is a like, this is yeah. a preview for my uh my overtime <laughs> episode or my yeah <laughs> yeah abs- absolutely uh like because that's one i mean that's one of the things we talk about it's like obviously this is a workplace action this is directly you know in the in the ilwu's actually in their economic wheelhouse but generally it's this sort of outreach within the, the wider community, like you were saying, that integration of social struggles, like outside, both outside and on the shop floor, is, is that route to power. And, and, and the fact that like the ILWU has been so consistent on that mm-hmm. for the years is, is obviously you know, one of the, the testaments to why they're one of the most you know, radical unions in the country. Yeah. Well, and on the, on the heels... I, I think that, um, like we're, we like to see in that sort of community organizing, the ex, the extension of that has hit LA teachers uh, in the LA teachers union, and they have made a demand to have the entire United States cut aid to Israel. A very bold, uh, like demand from from teachers, which is you love to see it. I mean, really. Yeah. The leadership body of the Los Angeles Teachers Union is expected to vote in September on a resolution that would urge the U.S. government to end all aid to Israel. Like there they are. They not only are are talking about it and putting like it's not just a couple of people out there saying that, you know, we need to do this. It's actually the teachers organization themselves making plans to actually do something and to to truly try to hold the U.S. government accountable. Yeah, because like on that like point. We see so often the narrowing of the scope of what a union is supposed to do. Basically, kind of like the, the the workplace version of, you know, shut up and dribble, where keep politics out of organizing. That's fucking mm-hmm. bullshit that is like, you know, trying to kill the class struggle. And right. how you have to do the exact opposite of that. <laughs> and and the, the lack of consistent anti-imperialism in the U.S. labor movement, the lack of consistent solidarity with, you know, a whole host of minority struggles um, ha- has been one of the Achilles heels of, of the U.S. labor movement. And so this sort of move, um, an acknowledgement from the L.A. Teachers Union that like the, the, the purpose of a teachers union isn't just, you know, to bargain about pay and bargain about like the funding, how funding is distributed for various supplies in the school. It's like every union. It's everything that these folks are involved in in the community. And, and, and so this declaration that they're, they're voting on gets to that, where they, they said, because this was brought up, obviously, during the recent Israeli bombardment of Gaza, this was put out, and it urges the union as a whole to, quote, express our solidarity with the Palestinian people and call for Israel to end bombardment of Gaza and stop displacement at Sheikh Jarrah. And in addition to, the, to cutting off aid, they are ex- explicitly asking members to endorse the international campaign for uh, boycott, divest and sanctions against apartheid in Israel. Cause we've seen, I feel like a lot of groups put out a just one time statement during the recent attacks of basically, Hey, stop bombing Gaza. But the fact that they're including a commit, a commitment to the actual, the whole BDS movement 
uh, which is, you know, like not just this, that's a commitment to the whole project of decolonialism. Like that's a big step. And so unsurprisingly, this move has been rather controversial. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think that another one of the things to point out is that teachers are actually also, I mean, inherently educators. They are doing this as a form of education for their community. They're letting people know uh, that there is an apartheid going on and that they have the power to bring light to this issue by saying that they're going to take labor action if there isn't something done to uh, like cut ties with this fascist regime. Yeah. And, and, and as you and like, as, as I said, quote, as public school teachers in the United States, uh, we have a special responsibility to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people because of the $3.8 billion annually, the U S government gives to Israel, thus directly using our tax dollars to fund apartheid and war crimes. Yeah. There you go. Like that's a better political analysis then I, I don't remember like that's like I would expect that from the ILWU and maybe a couple other unions. But like uh, I, I know the teachers are, are, are still one of the, the, the more radical groups, but that's a really good analysis. I yeah. Mean, and, and, and yeah, so well, and, and they, I, they I point out people, here. OK, uh, yeah, I just want to say real quick is like one of the reasons why we see some of these actions in California. It's not some like liberal haven. It's that California is a fucking casino. Like the workers <laughs> are putting together their their power because there's they're really like the contradictions. They are fucking immense. Well, and like there's been a lot of pushback on this from people in the community who are trying to say that, like, the teachers are being anti-Semitic, you know, the typical kind of like bullshit that you normally see with uh, <laughs> discussions about Israel. Yeah. yeah. And then you have people who are even the, the very article that this is in says the resolution seems unlikely to affect cra- classroom lessons. The Holocaust, the systematic genocide of Jews and other minority groups in Europe by Adolf Hitler's German government in World War II remains a part of the curriculum in California, thereby addressing a worry that exactly nobody had about right. this which is that like if the teachers support palestine maybe they'll stop teaching the holocaust which That's is bullshit. like yeah and it's it's like it's it's not even said outright in the article it's just kind of surreptitiously baked in there as a talking point which what? is really fucking disgusting honestly yeah, i well i mean when i was writing the notes i actually tweaked a few of them to take out that sort of reference because that even this article is tinged all over with all sorts of language implying not saying that this resolution is anti-Semitic because of course, I mean, I mean, they're not going to say that (laughs) they're just going to heavily imply it all throughout the article. Exactly. Uh, Cause they, and they, they have a quote here from a nearby parent from a, like a parent in the area um, who's, who said, quote, I understand that this is a political hot topic. I don't know why it's relevant to the union. It has nothing to do with educating kids. I don't think it benefits kids. And like, what? Which kids? <laughs> you don't... The ones in Palestine being bombed? Yeah. And, and like, you don't, this is a political hot topic. It has nothing to do with educating kids is like a big part of the problem with like the way we even think about education and, and just what is and isn't political in the U S. Cause it's like, right. so you don't think kids should be, t- how are they supposed to judge political issues if you don't, teach them about them. <laughs> so this whole idea that it's if we don't talk about this it'll go away is the epitome of like the whole liberal problem where their biggest struggle is with conflict not with justice right so they're like we, we must suppress 
conflict at all costs so I never have to feel uncomfortable about anything. It doesn't matter if doing so hurts a shitload of other people. I don't care. I don't want to have to feel uncomfortable. And we have to stop coddling that attitude because this sort of resolution should be the baseline for unions. Like this shouldn't be considered a controversial left move by a union. Like this level of anti-imperialism should be like just taken for granted. And the fact yeah. that it isn't is one of the big problems with the US labor movement cuz they they have a quote in here uh, and I I don't want to like kind of rag on this this teacher cuz uh I am sure they they're they're doing a great job. But they have a quote in here. Labor unions are inherently anti-imperialist. Uh said Sony Lloyd, a, a Venice High School <laughs> history teacher. And I'm like, look, I, I, this is a show about unions, big fan of unions, all four unions. I wish that was true. That's not true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. I, I mean, I, a big part of the problem is that labor unions can be turned into a bunch of different things that yeah, aren't anti-imperialist or aren't yeah, anti-capitalist. I, I, my next, the next overtime episode that I'm going to do is, was on that exact topic. And right. uh, unfortunately there is a long history of the U S labor movement, not only not being anti-imperialist, but directly collaborating with the U S imperialist uh, like moves around the world. Right. But that being said, the very fact that like unions aren't naturally necessarily anti-imperialist just, you know, by default makes doing these sorts of things actively and, and getting in, involved in this stuff and not just, you know, hanging back all the more important because unfortunately this sort of thing does set them apart from a lot of the rest of the labor movement. And we're never going to get past that unless you have people willing to make like some people uncomfortable by putting out what should be a relatively uncontroversial statement that settler colonialism and genocide is back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This union actually does have a history of other sorts of um, strong actions like uh, actually holding solidarity with uh, people who are occupying government owned homes and uh, facilities also in support of eliminating LA school police department, the, the, the LA school police department, which is literally a police department for the LA schools uh, in solidarity with black lives matter activists. This is that they, like I mentioned just earlier, the, the contradictions there are wild. They have a police department for the schools. Yeah, that's fucked up. I mean, that's also been a big part of intimidating workers organizing movements has been like in one way or another increasing police presence in or near Absolutely. their workplaces. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the other thing that was in this though that <laughs> drove me fucking... It was just very annoying when I read it was they, they mentioned in here, obviously there's a quite a few right wing parents who are very put off by this resolution and other actions taken by the union. And so they've formed... A, you know, a, a, a civic action group, basically uh, a group on Facebook to to organize against this called again. This is a group of parents, California Students United to oppose the union. And this is the sort of thing it's like this is classic, you know, from right wing attacks on labor to to use what sound like grassroots organizing names for then astroturf uh, movements. Yeah, right. For reactionary topics. And, and in this case, just a misrepresentation <laughs> because right. this is not a student group. Like, and, and again, you can see polling everywhere. And I'm sure this is even more true in, in Los Angeles specifically um, that, you know, support for Palestine is very high among young people. Uh, but just the, the, the fact that they're already they're from the start misrepresenting who they are like 
tells you a lot about the opposition to a again what should not be a radical state and and, and there was a, a good quote here um i, I from a local organizer uh amani uh barakat who um is a leader in this group al auda uh, the palestinian right to return coalition uh, who said, this is the least we can do, honestly, to educate on this, ver- on this very peaceful way to protest what's happening in Palestine. Boycott, divestment, and sanction is the peaceful solution to try and deal with this suppression and occupation that's been going on for 73 years. And, like, and that's absolutely true. And you would think from the response that you get whenever like a group of activists or teachers or students does something like this, that they were proposing like you know, going and like doing a violent protest outside of like Netanyahu's office or whoever the new PM of Israel's office is. But they're literally just like, we would like to like recognize this on our own campus. And people are like, oh, you can't do that. That's a bridge too far. Like, I mean, it's the same thing as like with fucking uh, Colin Kaepernick, right? Like he was doing the exact type of protesting that people said was like, this is the way you should protest. And he still got like fucking massacred in the media for it. I I mean, the, any call for keep politics out of X 99.9% of the time is just a reactionary move to silence. Yeah. A whole group of, of various, uh, well, Criticisms. anyone who brings up any form of like anti-politics, that should really be a, a red flag. Like anyone who's like, this yeah. isn't political. This isn't like really is just trying to d- distill something down into a way that's so much simpler for them to be right. Well, when somebody says this isn't political, they're just saying, I like the politics that this already has. Please don't challenge them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a, yeah. I like that. that. That actually makes a lot of sense. Cause to, it, to, to use a rather relevant quote from George, uh, Habash, uh, who is a founding member of the Popular Front for Liberation of Palestine. Quote, in today's world, no one is innocent, no one in neutral. A man is either with the oppressed or he is with the oppressors. He who takes no interest in politics gives his blessing to the prevailing order, that of the ruling classes and exploiting forces. Yeah. That's true now is when he said it before. Anti-politics is inherently reactionary. <laughs> yeah. They're hitting the nail right on the head there. Yeah. And so I feel like there's been a theme kind of so far in this episode which has been like workers really trying to force uh, their unions and various organizations to push the traditional boundaries of what's been considered, you know, their scope. And so the next story that we have in here coming from uh, Labor Notes um, is, is in that similar vein where we've got Canada's uh, postal workers putting forward a really bold plan to kind of completely rewrite um, like wh- what the postal service in Canada even is. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a, so basically their contract for the, the, the co- Canada postal workers union expires next year. And rather than just saying, okay, we'll figure out what our cost of living adjustments going to be. And how do we want to change the health? What's the deductible? Gonna be? So they've basically instituted a program to get ahead of any of that shit. And, and, aggressively move to expand the scope of services that the post offices offer to try and benefit the communities that postal uh, workers, you know, live and work in. As I say, these are the kind of reforms that actually do something. These right. because the, what right. they're responding to, to really conservative reforms, which was basically to gut the postal office. And so they're like, wait, 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 how about these reforms instead? <laughs> well, Cause that's the thing. And that's recognizing 
like politics because you'll have when you have like you know bourge, more bourgeois politics your options are the the republicans will, or you know the conservatives in canada will come out and say we need to privatize social security and so the response from the other democrat uh, the other bourgeois party is no we only need to privatize half of social security right <laughs> and, and so you have now the the actual worker response being no what if we gave everybody unemployment insurance and we funded it from the state it's that sort of level of inversion that yeah. we we're seeing here and, and i really appreciate that and then they're calling it their delivering community power plan where yeah. what they're essentially proposing to do and we've seen I've, I've seen like proposals for some of these individually in the u.s um but combining like bank, them like all together at the post office right is a huge move so like yeah what like like lena was saying one they're they're proposing basically postal banking um, as, as something they want to add to the postal service, uh, making the postal service a uh, provider of free internet for communities um, to may- allow the post office to jumpstart green vehicle production and infrastructure, um, a- as well as a host of other uh, measures to basically take the post uh, postal service and try and make it more of a like more holistic service provider mm-hmm. to the community com- by going into areas where the source a source for right. for good communication like looking at these 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 sectors banking internet and as well as you know just production in general that have been gutted by neoliberalism that have been privatized that are not working for regular people and saying why couldn't the post office provide that? Because that's the funny thing. You'll always hear people right. go, oh, you, you, you want the government to provide things. You want things to be like, and they usually use the DMV, but it used to be the post office. And you want things to be like the post office? Like, yes. The post office <laughs> yeah. is very or, easy to work with. Or the library. Right. But like, I, I think that one of the, the kind of things that they were fighting against, which I think is important to highlight, is, the, is one of the ways that the, one of the neoliberal reforms that they were talking about was getting rid of like house deliveries and making everyone drive to the post office. I don't know if, uh, I mean, I, I've experienced having a local post office. That sucks for one. But then also, not, not just because, you know, you don't get, like mail just because it's like you don't go get your mail like you don't check your mail because you have to drive five minutes and then what about people who don't have accessibility to those sorts of things it's literally just creating additional burdens on the community so that they can do some sort of balancing of the budget so they can keep putting the money back into the military and other sorts of of neoliberal projects so so instead of allowing that uh what they've done is they've been like no fuck that we're still going to deliver to people's houses which is very important to a lot of people and and then also they're saying we're going to expand these services we're actually going to make it so that you are going to have even less of a burden within your community because of the post office helping you i think that that's really important in organizing and and reaching out to people and it's highly effective free internet is an important like like message too because i think that at least in the area where i live there's plenty of places with shit internet and i was like someone could get a city council seat just by advocating for municipal internet yeah, like that, absolutely. That, that, sorry, yeah, we, we <laughs> cut, went off. No, went no, off no. The you're rails. absolutely right because, like, we 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 talked about the um, the electrical workers in in uh, New York City. Oh yeah, who have been on strike for so long that they just said, "Fuck it, we'll start a municipal broadband company. Fuck the company. We'll make our own company," and have been going strong because they they've correctly identified 
that the monopoly system in place in inner in like just telecommunications generally but also specifically internet completely fucks over the customers and yep. is one of the the easiest ways to, to, to like get people on board with something. Cause this, this is one of those things. It's almost like, uh, you're never going to find a real person who likes their health insurance company who likes their internet service provider. Right. <laughs> Absolutely not. I've never had an internet service provider and been like, I don't know, satisfied I've, with the I've quality always, and price I, or anything it, like, yeah, I think that I've had one where I'm like, wow, this provides inadequate service at a moderately overpriced amount. Yeah, that's usually the best that you can ask for. But I mean, that's, yeah, it's just another example of an industry that should be fucking nationalized anyway. Right. Like, you know, po- postal banking, why not postal ISPs? Why not just get everything from the fucking post office? Like, why not seriously? put the post office in the library and just... <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I'm doing... Yeah, and let me go rent a fucking backhoe from it. Just exactly. like I, I should be able to. Yeah, although... All power I think to the post office. We should uh, <laughs> we should talk a little bit about the actions um, actually done by some of these oh, workers. Definitely. Yeah, I so they announced this this delivering uh, delivering community power plan in 2016. And 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 since then, it's already begun to inspire workers even outside the postal uh, system to uh, basically not only be like like these ideas but almost but want to further them. Because when General Motors announced it was closing its Oshawa assembly plant in Ontario in 2018, the auto workers and community activists there basically said, wait a minute, well, fuck them. Why do they get to say that when this plant doesn't work anymore? We should just nationalize it and use the plant to make things that Canada actually needs, mm-hmm. like green vehicles. And, you know, we can get in. All the, I, electric cars are not the answer, but that's a whole separate thing. Right. The whole idea of letting a private company dictate like whether this town is going to have a facility that basically provides a lifeline as far as jobs to, for people makes no fucking sense. (laughs) Like there's no reason that those people can't, who are all these people who have been working at this like facility for years, couldn't run a run it themselves and B use it to make something that actually helps society. And so they've, on their own come to the 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 postal union and lobby to add that sort of project to the delivering community power plan and that's the sort of stuff like you were saying like that integration between like not only workers but like community groups and and that co that sort of coalition building from the 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 working class itself that really builds long lasting, strong movements. Yep. And this sort of, and and that's the other thing that's key with this is this isn't like, again, they're not asking for like, let's have, let's, let's just go for electric clean delivery vehicles. (laughs) They're like, no, let's nationalize this industry. Let's nationalize this industry. Let's do public options. Like they are going for it with this stuff. And that it fucking rules. They mentioned, um, that they've started a, a, back like during the bargaining in 2018 to push these these goals carrying on rolling strikes and force the canadian government to pass legislation to try and force the strikers back to work from Mm -hmm. so much disruption jesus Uh, christ which which of course you know fuck canada's government for that but um like the it forced them into arbitration which lasted for five nearly 500 days until june of last year god damn but their contract is up yet again next year 
And the union has been quite clear that they intend to continue pushing the, de the delivering community power plan as part of those negotiations. Yeah. Um, that's really you good. Have some, you have quotes from the president of the CUPW local in Edmonton who's saying things like, to win something like this transformative policy, it's going to take making a stand. If we want to be successful at the bargaining table and in enforcing our demands, we need our members to buy into what the union is doing. Uh, and so they, they're really like, it seems like they're doing a real grassroots thing here. They're doing what he calls an organizing first strategy, uh, which has helped them gain a lot of credibility with uh, members in Edmonton and the wider Edmonton community. And he says the union needs to be present on work floors to educate members, to give them the training and those skills and that confidence to organize themselves, which is just like, you know, it seems like at every turn, uh, this group <laughs> of workers is doing like the, the absolute right thing. Like they're bringing politics into it. They're starting from the grassroots. They're really building like community organizing. Uh, and they're also stoking people's political imaginations about what the post office could look like in the future. Like it's just a win. It's a win on every side. And fundamentally just being like, they're basically just going to the people and saying, why shouldn't the workers run this stuff? Like, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so far we've had a positive episode. I really, I really like when I was going over the notes, I was just like, wow, these are all like pretty good stories. Well, we're going to be doing, let's a, fix that. Yeah. We're going to do a little bit of a callback to one of our classics, which is modern slavery for this, this next piece that we're going to be doing where we're right. covering, uh, slave labor conditions, uh, where that would be in, in the Texas. ice concentration camps in the ice <laughs> concentration right. camps in the United States of America. Right. So That's yet right. another yeah. place where this is going back to one of our, our first slavery episodes, which was talking about, uh, the prison, uh, complex, which is basically designed to pay people almost nothing. Well, uh, they're at it again, folks. Um, ice is forcing people to work, uh, for private companies for a dollar a day. And since this is since Biden has been in office where ICE has signed new contracts with private prison firms worth more than $260 million, the majority of them since April. And some of these contracts uh, aren't even grammatically consistent all the way through, uh, especially in the language they use to condone the exploitation of those awaiting immigration hearings, such as quotes like detainee labor shall be used in accordance with the approved detainee work plan and will shall be paid $1 per day. Uh, which is just like, you can tell that this was rushed through. You can tell that this was tried to, you know, they're trying to keep this under the radar. Uh, and the reason for that is because anybody who opposes slavery, <laughs> I think would, uh, oppose this arrangement $1 a day. I mean, even if you're working, it doesn't matter how many hours you work. That's not, it's not a humane amount of money to pay people. That's slave wages. Well, and this, I mean, this story is horrifying on like five different levels, at least. But one of the ones that made me like this one particularly made me frustrated at the fucking media because this is there. We have seen a litany of this type of story since Biden took office, which is Biden does an executive action and the media gushes over it. We hear about he's ending private prisons, he's closing Guantanamo, he's ending drilling in, in Anwar, and all this right. shit. Any of that shit. He's not doing any not of that. Because they're worded so that the action means absolutely nothing and has no force. And then after they do the actions, then they go out and award contracts to do exactly the opposite of what the action says. But strangely, the media never reports on that part because they mentioned in this, this, this article from the American Prospect that 
The order that Biden passed said that, quote, to decrease incarceration levels, we must reduce profit-based incentives to incarcerate by phasing out the federal government's reliance on privately operated criminal detention facilities, which sounds great, I guess. Has nothing to um, do with the forced labor of these concentration well, well, camps. And also, like, what, what percent of these camps that, are operated <laughs> privately? Less so, than 10? So that's, that's the thing. So ori- I've seen activists, like, criticizing that when it came out originally because— uh, Private prisons have become an easy boogeyman for the Dems because of the fact that only 10% of all federal uh, criminal inmates are in privately run facilities. So it's because of legalese, they're able to use that as a thing they can attack while still maintaining the carceral system. Right. The key is that for this, though, Biden's executive order only covers criminal detention facilities. But. 98% of those, uh, in ice jails in are, are, are earning money for these, these private, uh, companies because, because they're not us citizens. Right. And so they haven't, they're not in those jails because they've been necessarily convicted of a crime. They've just been charged with illegally entering the country. So they're not covered under the legalese language in this executive order. So. He like since Biden has been in office, ISIS signed new contracts with private prison firms worth over two hundred and sixty million dollars. Most of them just in the last couple of months. They they recently renewed a a, a contract with uh, Atna uh, Support and Training Services for seventeen million dollars. Um, and this is a company with a track record of complaints at its guards at uh, for degrading. Uh, they use the term workers, but I mean, these are, these are prisoners being forced to do slave labor right. um, at the Port Isabel facility where they had a grievance from uh, uh, one prisoner there who said, the officer searched us in a human, this is for kitchen workers. They said the officer searched us in a humiliating manner whereby the officer pulled our blouses up, exposing our breasts in front of the detainees. So, I mean, like, this is just the standard level of like fucking assault harassment and the a litany of other crimes you know that the, these various members of the garrison state like committed these uh these facilities all while biden is professing to you know be we're ending private prisons we're we're gonna make the human face of ice or some bullshit Oh yeah, I love having a a human face on my fascism. That's my favorite. <laughs> As I say, they can draw a face on a boot all they want. It's not a fucking human face, in my opinion. Yeah, Benito Mussolini put his on the side of a big building <laughs> oh, with the word "yes" written a million times uh, over and over in Italian. And you know what? The sad truth of the matter is that that kind of messaging works. Like there are still plenty of doe-eyed liberals out there who will tell you, like, "Oh, you don't think Biden is the most progressive president since Obama?" <laughs> It's like, well, well it's, there's only been one other. Um. Yeah, I mean, I it, I think that people's uh, brains are, are basically permanent, permanently poisoned when it comes to presidents, because, I mean, nobody is taught. Nobody even remembers George W. Bush's hundreds of thousands of war crimes. I mean, the. Oh, well, like, what about Obama? So, I mean, and, my God. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like people are, are, are like still up in arms about Trump. I'm like, you just give it two years. You're going to love him. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. The, I mean, American liberals have the memory of a goldfish, but, uh, like <laughs> they, they mention in here that 
since Biden took office, ICE has signed contracts with Geo Group, which is one of, if not the largest uh, private prison contractor in the company, worth over $85 million, just this one company since Biden took office. Some of which they are spending to lobby Congress and pay their loyal lawyers to sue inmates at these facilities who sue them for, you know, subjecting them to slave labor conditions. They, right. There was one detainee, um, uh, Chow Chen, who has been suing Geo Group for the uh, treatment and, you know, being hyper exploited uh, in one of their facilities. And Geo is countersuing them for quote call and calling these claims quote unjust enrichment so wait wait this person was made a slave they are filing a a lawsuit against the government and the government's saying wait you trying to get money from us is a criminal offense that's what geo group is arguing yes (laughs) that's terry gilliam's brazil springs to mind um my god and not just because I need my AC repaired. Hey, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I, I get, yeah, I know you have to go to bizarre libertarian fever dreams and like, uh, like snow crash or something where you have the mafia yeah. running privatized, uh, highway systems to like the kind of insane shit that these, these companies are on. And, and uh, actively one, doing and in real right. life, not not in some like, you know, fantasy book. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there have been seven class action lawsuits uh, in which federal judges, including three of four appellate panels, have found that ICE protocols and contracts do not permit prison firms to violate U.S. labor laws. Uh, and yet there seems to be no like effect uh, by those yeah. rulings. And then district courts in California and Washington have allowed suits to proceed on the premise that the work programs, GEO and core civic implement violate state minimum wage laws. And that also seems to have no fucking <laughs> effect on the way ice operates going forward because they have a red phone to the president. Right. I love how they have to be like, well, you're violating minimum wage laws. We, all we really need to do is pay these, these, uh, detainees, which are actually political prisoners, uh, yeah. seven an hour. Yes. And then it's okay to put them in concentration camps. Right. They shouldn't be forced to work in the first place, but like, yeah, I, that's an interesting point, Lena, that like, that's the level that the U S legal system is ready to pretend to deal with this on is that like, well, they should at least make minimum wage if you're going to force them to work. <laughs> Um, which yeah. is still completely insane and inhumane. Well, speaking of a, a disparity between the PR face of an organization and the actual functioning face of an organization, Jeff Bezos is going to space. Everybody, he's going to get in a <laughs> rocket, and he and his brother, I heard, and they're going to sh- they're going to blow it. They're going to send him to the space. Um, No, the actual article relevant to Amazon that we wanted to talk about is a new detailed report showing the dangers faced by Amazon workers and delivery contractors. This is something that we've talked about many times on the show that Amazon is functionally using the way that it arranges its warehouses and the way that it arranges its warehouse and logistics workers uh, to get them in a classification that is no longer subject to traditional uh, warehouse and factory like standards of health and safety. And we've also talked about how the effects of that are readily evident in even just the internal incident and injury and uh, death reports of the Amazon Corporation at their facilities. Yeah, so there was a couple of things that came out on the Amazon front this week that that kind of linked together on this point, where you had this detailed report um, coming out from the Strategic Organizing Center going over the the details of these this level of injuries. 
Uh, and then you also had a new story coming out from Vice where they've been interviewing Amazon delivery drivers who have been highlighting the dangers faced by these Amazon delivery drivers uh, where they specifically, this is going into how Amazon's flex app that all these drivers are required to use routes these drivers and forces them to cross streets during like high traffic periods. Yeah. Uh, and, right. and basically like a- any delivery app has to have an algorithm to solve like an, a route optimization problem, which is an extremely difficult mathematical problem to solve. But, mm-hmm. and so like different apps will do it in different ways. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, there's actually a line, a quote here that outlines that fairly well, which is this happens to drivers every single day in Amazon dispatcher in Indiana told motherboard, uh, obviously a vice subsidiary subsidiary. Uh, you have to park on one side of the street, run across two lanes. And it's very busy. They bunch stops together so that they don't look like they're working us into the ground as much. It will say 200 stops, but in reality you'll have 240. Yeah. yeah. So, so basically they, if it says they have a whole bunch of stops on a street, it will tell the driver to stop and then get out of the car and go deliver the stuff to everything in that region at once without moving the vehicle because it can save time. However, it makes no distinction on whether like what side of the street you're on. So, so like they're they're saying it forces the the driver to have to constantly be going back and forth uh, across oftentimes, you know, two lane highways uh, during rush hour, heavy packages, multiple packages sometimes, which can require multiple trips back to the vehicle. And then also, I think that what's really important to realize is like, sure, maybe this sounds like a way of being efficient with delivering packages. But if we actually look at other practices in the industry, one of the important things to realize is like, uh, was it, uh, the U- UPS or I-, I don't remember what example they gave, but it's, um, one of the, another main shipping companies, they send you down one side of the street you deliver everything on that side and then they will literally have you circle back down and deliver on the other side literally just so you don't put yourself in the middle of the street getting ready to get hit because you have an oversized package and you don't have it and you have a little bit of a blind spot and like and the other thing is amazon gets around well they try and like blow this off by pointing out hey the app doesn't say they can't reposition their vehicle we tell people to follow all safety law, like all general laws yeah. and make sure that they keep themselves safe. Problem with that is delivery work is piecework. As we've, as we've mentioned before, and to maintain your job with Amazon, you have to meet their quotas. So it doesn't matter <laughs> that the app doesn't tell them that they have to do this as quick as possible because if they don't, they won't make their, you know, incredibly shit wage and if they don't hit whatever uh, you know arbitrary speed up quota amazon has has hit them with that week they'll likely lose their ability to to do work with amazon right so there's this deflection of responsibility that is inherent to this whole you know no these are our delivery service partners uh and and this isn't just a like hypothetical where this sounds more dangerous because as like as you mentioned like there was this report that came out getting into the actual numbers of Amazon's injuries and comparing them both within Amazon and to other companies. It's not great folks. <laughs> yeah. Like they're terrible. Like we, we've mentioned before that the general number that's usually thrown out there is that, uh, Amazon's warehouses are, have twice as many injuries as the standard for the industry. 
But then they get into these specific company by company details. And there's a whole bunch of charts. Um, If you're in the Discord, I I put the report in the PDF library. There's a bunch of stuff. I I, I recommend looking at it. It's interesting. Um, But just to go over some of the numbers. Oh, if um, if you don't have access to that channel, you do have to do an introduction. And then we give you a, a thing that allows you to access that. In the oh, Discord, yeah. just wanted to be clear when yeah. when Dan says the PDF <laughs> library without context. So Amazon compared to they compared them to Walmart, you know, the other uh, conglomo megacorp that owns America, <laughs> you right. know, biggest employer. And Amazon's overall injury rate was twice that of, of Walmart's, and their severe injury rate defined by as injuries which actually force uh, workers to miss time instead of just being you know put on restricted duty or light work. Um, was over two and a half times that of Walmart's. And specifically for the delivery drivers, compared to UPS, who are unionized with the Teamsters, uh, Amazon's delivery service partners experience general injury as 50% higher rate than UPS. But again, severe injuries where they are required to miss work because of being hurt on the job. Delivery drivers for Amazon get injured at you know those harsh rates three times ups so it's this is not like a statistical aberration it's not a mind like this is inherent to amazon's business model well then they say that if it wasn't that efficient that they would actually cost them money to do these deliveries and so they're not willing to put any extra money into these delivery uh drivers work conditions because they need to actually be sucking money out every single step and if they're not then then they're just gonna what i don't know what the, what are they gonna do they're gonna lobby for worse work conditions so that they don't get uh fined by osha or some shit like that well, they're gonna send they're gonna send jeff bezos to the moon like dogecoin <laughs> in a based pr attempt to make sure everyone knows that they are in fact uh based and cringe pilled you know that's what amazon is ready to do <laughs> yeah. Amazon's yeah. like, well, the blood of these workers, it's interesting that you bring that up because that's how we're going to win the space race. <laughs> um, yeah, it's rough well, out there, folks. So really, I think, I mean, obviously everyone knows Amazon treats its employees like shit, fucking horrible company. But the thing that I, a lot of these details really continue to highlight for me, at least, is that the Amazon's whole business model, their disruptive influence on circulation is just Isn't, disruptive of people's lives. <laughs> yeah, it's not because they have some, you know, brilliant managerial technique and 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 insights into the business world or new technology. It's <laughs> it's just speed up. It's the yeah. same it's intensification of labor. It's the same way that uh the workers and owners or that uh, that owners and the bourgeoisie have been squeezing every last drop of surplus labor from workers since the invention of capitalism. Yeah, when these yeah. when these tech brained Silicon Valley fucks tell you that they're going to disrupt the marketplace by moving fast and breaking things, what they mean is they're going to disrupt your life by making you work faster until your body fucking breaks. That's what they fucking mean. <laughs> That's very true. It, it's like, you know, I bet I bet we could make more money at the grist mill if we made people kill themselves while working. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of your shift, just jump in the mill. You know, yeah. that's the that's the best profit uh, profit it ratio ensure, that we it, could It ensures the plan turnover. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of turning it over, <laughs> here let's it is. turn it over to the meme review. 
Um, that's right. Good ones this week. Yeah. Which speaking of, uh, (laughs) of Jeff Bezos all the way to the moon, um, our first meme is actually, what is this a a screen cap of? This is spinal tap, right? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. This is so, so folks have seen spinal tap. This is from the scene where they talk about how they've gone through a strange number of drummers and their last one, he died in a bizarre gardening accident. Uh, (laughs) But this one is a tweet that's just, the astronauts, when they return to Earth without Bezos, and it's the caption that's been uh, very professionally edited. <laughs> it's, uh, so he's being sarcastic. It's, it's blacked out with a different font, yeah. different color letters and everything. But yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's these, it's these two guys being interviewed, uh, and it's captioned. And, and so it's the, the, the astronauts, when they return to Earth without Bezos. He died in a bizarre going to space accident. And then the next pain, best leave it unsolved, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And, this is really just saying what what we're all thinking. This is this is what everybody wants, right? And <laughs> yeah, you you know, the one thing that we Pucci died on the way back to his home I, planet. The one <laughs> thing, the one thing that I just don't want to see from this is an engineer going down for for something that happened. You know, oh, I just yeah. I would really I would hate <laughs> to see that because honestly, no one should get punished for. Never mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. The second theme of <laughs> accidents happen all the time in the rocket industry. Oh yeah. Like literally like without any hint of irony. It's true. They're incredibly <laughs> fraught with danger. I mean, it is, it just legitimately is. What is this is actually a part of our series of, of signs in places from businesses. And this is, uh, <laughs> yeah. this is a Papa John's, uh, empty parking lot. And the sign that's right below the Papa John's logo is like one of those, you know, place the letters on the board, similar to the Burger King one that we did the, uh, either last week or whatever. And it just says a hundred percent straight out of employees. But <laughs> <laughs> I like that's the best they can come up with. I'm just like, so, so is the labor shortage, the reckoning that Papa John was, was, was predicting after he ate like what, 40 pieces in 40 days or whatever that shit was. Yeah. I, I like that one though. It's just all these signs just, just, you know, light up my life, honestly, just like, Oh, look at all these, like, well, this one is maybe looks a little bit more like the worker did it rather than the Burger King one, which was obviously done by some sort of corporate goon. Um, right. But, uh, but Yeah. Um, the next one is, uh, what Pengu sleeping in a bed, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, how to avoid stress at work. Step one, don't go to work. And that's the meme. <laughs> Pengu wins again. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's there's, correct. If you don't know the, the season, I think it's the, the third Pengu intro song is one of the hardest slapping big beat slash hip hop songs I've ever heard in my entire life. And should, I'm should probably going to put it at the end of the episode. Yeah, I was going to say, should we make that the outro? <laughs> that sounds yeah. fucking rad. Uh, I'm going to have to listen to that. Then, but, but that's absolutely correct, Comrade Pingu. That is how you avoid stress at work. You simply do not go. That's <laughs> yeah. right. And if for any reason you do find yourself at work, remember, uh, you can't get any work done in the bathroom. So just hang out in there all day. Right. That's right. And uh, speaking of not being able to do your work, uh, this next one is a Twitter uh, cap. Is uh, My my boy is a tow truck driver. Not all heroes wear cape. And this is uh, the photos in this Twitter thing are uh police vehicles that have been towed away the first one uh let me quick zoom in on this uh it says if i or if you see a fed parked in the fire lane like this one give me a shout which is obviously saying <laughs> we're gonna tow the cops i fucking love it right. and the second one I, is- I, appre- I appreciate that they they censored 
the license plate with, with a, a pig, pig nose, nose logo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the second one is a uh, cop thought it was cool to park in a handicapped spot, but not on my watch. It's like this. That's Hell that's yeah. uh, that's malicious compliance, right? This that's really yep. <laughs> this is some good malicious compliance. Incredibly based tow truck driver for just being like, <laughs> well, technically I'm supposed to do this. Technically, technically the unwritten rule is that I'm not, but uh, I could just follow the letter of the law and do everyone a favor. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> so this now is a these cops have to go pick up their their cruisers from the impound lot, which is fucking sick. Yeah, and I hope that a lot of tow truck drivers have seen this and and use it use it as inspiration to help uh, handicapped people have their parking spaces to make sure that fire trucks, which are actually important, are able to get into fire lanes. Yep. To make sure that cops aren't parked in front of fire hydrants. To make sure that cops aren't parked to put those trucks inside <laughs> of a dumpster that is on fire. I mean, there's just so many options. Speaking I, of I so many options. options. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We got lots of options. Yeah. I've been using one of these a lot more recently now that I'm doing some fucking farm labor. And I got to say, uh, it's it's such a joy to see garden hose memes really make their <laughs> way into the collective consciousness. Right. This one is a this one at the top. It just well, it's covering up. Uh, what is it? What? what uh, water setting says it's, I can't read it because it's behind. Well, I think it's water spray hose nozzle with seven something settings. It's yeah, like settings. It's, yeah. 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 It's it's the ad for this spray nozzle. Oh, okay, okay. And I do appreciate that they didn't like crop out any of the, the language. They just put the impact font over it. Yeah. yeah. Boom. Impact font. <laughs> Fuck zodiac signs. What's your favorite garden hose setting? Well, I think this is actually one we want to bring to the to the 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 what do you call it? What are we? We're not to a the panel. panel. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I mean, my favorite my favorite hose setting is easy cone. Cone beats everything. Cone, cone oh, is so no. versatile, and I'm, you can spray it directly up in the air and take a wonderful like misty shower if it's well, too hot outside. I like sh- I like shower for that reason because shower allows that, but also it takes a little bit less time to make sure everything gets watered. Though sometimes it is a little bit too high pressure for some of your weak for some of the weaker plants. So. Yeah. Yeah, cone's not going to be pushing all of that topsoil out of the way. You need to keep that topsoil where it is. And uh, you don't want to go all the way down to mist. That's ridiculous. It's a little light. I mean, I can imagine. It's a, Actually, I think mist is maybe the best for shop, for like doing a, a self-shower, though, because you can actually do it for more than just a second. There's like a whole gray area that is acceptable for holding that, that trigger down into the That's air. That's true. So that's true. I think shower has that that perfect balance between like volume and pressure where, you know, mist and cone are good for plants, but they're a bit light if you're trying to cool off on a, on right, a summer day. Right. And, and then, you know, center and jet are just going to fucking wreck anything that you other than like a car. I want right, to. Yeah, I, I do want to shout out one of my personal like low key faves is flat flat uh is surprisingly you think wow why does this exist uh but actually you know it's similar to like to like mist but also it's kind of got some shower-ish properties to it Um, it's strong enough to like spray rocks off of a surface like if you're trying to clear off a driveway of like weeds and shit you can use flat and it's pretty directional and it's got enough oomph to kind of get that going for you yeah. And so this has been the work stoppage roundtable on spray hose settings that <laughs> you have right. been waiting for since episode one, folks. <laughs> we, That's right. We did just go into that, didn't we? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, 
that is the episode. Uh, we are entirely listener supported. So if you'd like to give us five dollars uh, to get us get some more content, we are doing some overtime episodes. We have Dan's on Detroit. I do mind dying. We will be doing a couple more one on the AFL CIA. Uh, I'm doing one on no shortcuts. Uh, it's going to be well, at least one. Uh, it's going to be really good content coming up. We've been uh, mm-hmm. preparing it. So it's taking just a little bit, but we're, we're definitely pre- going to have some really good content for that um join us in the discord there's a link inside of the show notes then also give us a five-star review on apple podcasts or give another uh, bad podcast a bad review and tell them to listen to us <laughs> follow john on twitter at facebook villain me at solidarity b also check out john's other podcast beep beep lettuce and dan's red game table remember labor peace is not in our interest that's right solidarity out there solidarity, solidarity everybody, everybody.